we found areas of consumer privacy and security that are not being addressed very well and are focusing on those areas. The area it continues to expand. There's plenty of opportunity for new entrants, plenty of opportunity for new product categories that have not been yet addressed. When the majority of an industry zeroes in on one part of the market, focus on the other part. In this episode, that's a key message from Gary Gasinyov. He's the CEO of Real Defense. Gasinyov reveals how Real Defense, which is a holding company, has directed its attention on the consumer security and privacy market, while the greater security industry has focused on the enterprise market. From his position as CEO of Real Defense, in conjunction with his experience as a mentor to startups, Gasinyov also offers an insightful perspective as to the current state of how artificial intelligence can be used for security purposes. Gary, welcome to the show. Good for having me. Thank you. Awesome. Right out the gate, we let all of our guests please state and let our audience know what exactly is Real Defense and what does it do? Sure. Real Defense is a holding company focused on consumer privacy and security. We acquire companies in a lower to middle market. We focus on companies doing anywhere between 2 million to 15 million in uh, EBITDA. And we are focused on divestitures or companies that have been previously venture funded, but have not gained traction and are relatively flat or growing slowly. And what are you looking for when you make these acquisitions? There's probably a lot of different reasons because you mentioned divestitures, you mentioned some that haven't quite gotten traction. What is it that piques your interest in them? Because it's not maybe a traditional VC, which would say, hey, I'm looking for growth. I'm looking for stratosphere growth. I'm trying to you know, make as much money as possible. What are you focusing in on? Sure. So we're not focusing necessarily on growth and we're not VCs. We're actually more private equity centric and we're looking for value in terms of customer file value. So if a company has built a certain business, they've generated profits, but they're not growing as fast or not growing at all, they possibly uh, got acquired by a larger company, became a, a, a small division within a larger company, that's not getting attention. And so we look for these sort of nuggets of opportunity where we can come in and optimize product offering, optimize a lifetime value, improve on unit economics like customer acquisition costs, retention metrics, and uh, add our secret sauce, if you will, in terms of how we monetize customers and uh, improve the overall customer experience, offer a better product and improve the quality of the product and uh, ultimately you know, increase the value of this asset. And so that's what we look for. Yeah. Do you only look at cybersecurity companies? Uh, we saw you acquired companies like, uh, you know, YOLO or IOLO. I don't know if you actually pronounce it YOLO. I just, I, I put that in there. IOLO, yeah. 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 System mechanic, my clean ID, my clean PC. It definitely seems to be categorically in this specific area. I'd love to understand the strategy and also what you see personally in that area. Where are the opportunities? For, uh, we, of course, have had multiple guests on IT Visionaries talk about how much investment in IT cybersecurity is going to happen over the next couple of years. So obviously this is a big category, but I was wondering if you could share kind of what you guys are looking for, how you guys look at these companies. What are some of the areas of cyber defense or cybersecurity that you're thinking to yourself, hey, these are the big, big opportunities in front of us? Sure. Because of COVID over the past couple of years, there has been a dramatic increase in ownership of internet connected devices. So that, that includes PCs, laptops, cameras, uh, security systems, or anything that's connected to your home network. We went from an average of about six or five devices now to an average of about nine devices per household in North America. 
that creates opportunities and challenges. The challenges are that all these devices need some form of security, and security is not inherently sort of built into the technology stack of, of these uh, products, whether it's hardware or software. And also, there's no comprehensive management of these solutions, of these uh, products and services. In an uh, enterprise, you have an IT department. You have someone who's accountable for managing security and access control. In a, a typical household, who's doing that? It's maybe the head of the household or maybe individuals, right? Like we're all you know, part of that. that I got bad of, news, Gary. I have no idea what my wife's doing. <laughs> yeah. In our household, it's each person for themselves. I mean, I don't know what my son's doing. I don't know what my wife's doing. I just know what I'm doing. That's it. <laughs> right. That's right. That's scary to a certain degree. You know, if, if you have someone in the household who isn't careful or forgets to do something and suddenly the whole uh, environment is exposed. And so, and what type of, uh, you know, security do you have? Do you have, you know, adequate uh, blocking and tackling of viruses or, or do you have privacy controls? Do you have optimization of speed within your household in terms of your internal home network and internet access? There are lots of areas of privacy and security that you need to think about. And so the paradigm of real defense is not to sell just software, but we also sell services. And so we bundle our products in such a way where you get access to a human being and that human being can diagnose problems, fix them remotely, tell you what else you need and be almost like a trusted partner. We find that to be the best sort of mix of products and services. Our consumers love it. We have a very high retention rate, high NPS scores and and quality scores. And so we've found that to be the model that works. It's very similar to enterprise environments where you have a bunch of uh, endpoint security uh, products, but then you have an IT help desk that tells you you when you're doing something wrong or manages your applications for you. And so we brought that down to a consumer level, made it affordable, and uh, we're now scaling this paradigm that works. So what goes into the decision process in your mind where you think to yourself, hey, I see a company, but I really want to acquire a couple features and roll it into a bigger product, or I want to acquire a company and keep it as a standalone product. What goes into the decision process when you go look at these different companies? Because you've, you've done a lot of M&A deals over the last few years. Yeah. So the goal is always to go under one brand and one umbrella, and not to create all kinds of different brands that compete with each other. But that process takes time. And so on the company level, we look for synergies in terms of infrastructure and uh, marketing, automation, development, and et cetera. But on the consumer side, we ultimately look for parity between you know, what consumers have bought from the previous company and what they could buy from the new products that we're going to offer to them. So for example, if we bought an antivirus company, that customer may not you know, have had exposure to a VPN, for example, and they need a VPN. And so we want to bring a VPN to them and, uh, and, and have them purchase it from us and, and become a customer of that product. And so those types of synergies are pretty obvious and they're easy to see. We also bolt on services on top of that. And we try to figure out sort of the right mix in terms of price and product offerings so that we can keep these customers for as long as possible. But it's complicated. You know, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, selling, a, for example, Netflix subscription that's platform agnostic. You know, we're selling products that are specific to your device. And so as you move your, from device to device, it's challenging for us to maintain that subscription. We have to go after the customer and remind them that they need to you know, migrate their subscription to a new, new, new device. And so it's not as easy as moving from one iPhone to the next. And so we're trying to overcome those challenges and uh, uh, you know, grow at the same time. 
Yeah. And I'd love to understand, you know, how did this like passion of what you're doing today, how did it develop? You've been the CEO of multiple companies, uh, looks like a wide range of different types of companies, media companies, uh, you know, telecom. You've been in a lot of industries. What made you start thinking to yourself, hey, I want to do real defense. I think there's a lot of opportunity to take these smaller companies, roll up their roll them up or possibly integrate them with other products and features to bring it to market, specifically in the cybersecurity space. I'd love to understand how you came about like, hey, this is what I want to do with my time. Sure. So the reason I got into consumer privacy and security was because I used to own a direct marketing company in the email marketing and, and lead generation company that I started in the late 90s. And so what I saw was that during that time, there were, there were no controls in place. There was no way for consumers to actually mitigate their risks. There was no way for them to know how they're being tracked. And, and even with something as simple as email opt out, that was a brand new concept. You can't spam that came out in the early 2000s to address that. But consumers still to this day have very limited ability to control how their information is collected, how it's used. And so I thought that this would be a great space in the future. And it has become a great space in terms of from a business perspective. And so in terms of M&A and real defense and how we go, go to market is that we look for fragmented areas of this industry where there's lots of large companies like Norton and, and the McAfee and very few middle market companies and very, very few small companies. And so in order to compete in the space, you have to be properly capitalized. If you're not properly capitalized, that means you're, you're really disservicing your customer. You have to have the right if you're building an antivirus, for example, you have to have a, a really good threat research team. You have to have enough honeypots. You have to have enough data. Those, those are all non-trivial responsibilities for a company. And so we decided to go into areas where the competition is not as maybe uh, sophisticated because of there's, we're not building our own antivirus, for example. We found areas of, the, uh, of consumer privacy and security that are not being addressed very well and are focusing on those areas. And so the area it continues to expand. There's plenty of opportunity for new entrants, plenty of opportunity for new product categories that have not been yet addressed. And so it's exciting and it's going to continue to grow. We have more devices. Just look at all the IoT devices connected to your home network. You can just see how there's going to be a need for all of them to be part of some comprehensive security solution. And uh, we're working towards that. You know, you mentioned it just a moment ago. And we, of course, recognize that companies, larger companies, of course, put a premium on cybersecurity. We've had other guests on the show talk about how smaller companies pay a little bit less attention. And then we've also talked about consumers possibly paying the least amount of attention, right? Like <laughs> meaning we just described it, right? Do I know what my son or my wife's doing with their devices? Not really. We've also had people on our show talk about following the money, right? So if enterprises are following it, it makes most sense to invest in enterprise. So they have like the best tech stacks. And then you just kind of mentioned and alluded to it there, which is when it goes down to the consumer side, there's less players or less sophistication because it seems to be harder to sell to individuals. Has that paradigm started to shift? Are you seeing more individuals taking on more personal responsibility to say like, hey, I'm going to be more in charge of my cybersecurity for myself, for my home, for, for my work from home devices? I know that a lot of companies, for example, I, we work at one, Mission's a BYOD, like everyone brings their own device to work. Uh, we think that we just kind of rely on the cloud service providers to provide all the security, you know what I mean? So I'd love to you know, hear your thoughts on how is security importance shifting throughout the different markets? Everything you just said made perfect sense. So the, the consumer is understanding the value of cybersecurity better now. 
And the reason is, is because the younger generations who grew up with, you know, Snap and uh, social media have become to understand the value of where your content is and where your information is, is residing and where it's accessible, where it's not accessible and how it's accessible. And the younger generation also has all of their assets in the form of some sort of a digital file. And so whether it's currency, whether it's a bank account or a credit card or your photographs or some you know, taxes or whatever documents you have, they're all in some form of digital you know, file uh, structure and they're, they're sitting in the cloud, they're sitting on your device. And so if you quantify the, the risk and imagine if you didn't have access to this information, it was locked out or was lost, deleted, how would you function as a human being? And so if the answer to that is it's going to be really hard or impossible, then you should take precautions to protect it. And so there are companies, obviously, you know, Apple does a great job in protecting your data and, and so does Dropbox and so does Microsoft, but they're not protecting all of your data. They're not protecting all of your access to the internet. They're not protecting your device necessarily the way you should be looking at it as an individual. And so enterprises have completely different risk risks than, than consumers do. And the bad guys, unfortunately, are not becoming very, very targeted towards individuals. And they're using it through artificial intelligence. They're using it through all the data leaks that are out there on the dark web. They're able to compile, reverse engineer your biometrics and can log in and open up accounts in your name. And so, you know, you have to be mindful of this. And, you know, if, if all your assets, whatever they're worth, are in the cloud and they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, then shouldn't you spend at least a, a small percentage of that on protecting them? Consumers are slowly starting to realize that they should. And that level of protection is not just antivirus. It's got to be more than that. So we provide these different products and services to facilitate the demand. And uh, it's doing really well. And you know, we also make it simple. That's really important. We want to be like the Netflix of cybersecurity. You just press one button and it goes. You know, We're not quite there yet, but we're working on it. And that's exciting. It's a challenge for our engineers to simplify the, the, the tech stack. And uh, they're doing it. No, that makes complete sense, Gary. You, you, know, you mentioned it briefly towards the end of your discussion there, but I wanted to keep piggybacking off of it that you wanted to be like the Netflix of cybersecurity for the consumer. You know, we obviously know consumer tools. People always want easier, easier everything. That's how we are. We as people for ourselves, easy, 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 easy. That's how we think. What do you think needs to happen from your side in order to make cybersecurity products so simple, so easy that it gets mass consumer adoption? I always think of it personally as it almost has to be like, I would call like the Uber effect. Uber made it so that you literally push a button. Like, I think that's the only input you do as a consumer. And it says, okay, let me get you a car. And then of course it says, where do you want to go? Right? So it's, it's like, you only have to do a couple things. I want a software that says, secure my computer. And I push a button and I don't have to think again. Like that's what I wanted to do. That's the Holy grail in my eyes. But for your perspective, what needs to happen? Because cybersecurity is such a complex thing. It is typically, you know, like an enterprise grade cyber solution, cybersecurity solution, for example, will log communication records and it says, hey, allow, disallow. You know, it's a lot of decision trees that typically have to be made. Of course, consumers don't want to think that way. How do you think about making things super simple? Like, can you describe what making it the Netflix of cybersecurity, what that would look like for us as consumers? Sure. Let's just separate the threats into two categories. One is a local threat. One is a cloud threat. A local threat is anything that hits your device, hacker, virus, anything, Trojan, malware, that you can block. 
There's software out there that does that. We have it. There's plenty of alternatives out there. And they do a reasonably good job of blocking and tackling threats direct at your device, phone or computer. Now, let's talk about threats that are not on your device. These are threats in the cloud. For instance, someone stole your social security number. They're selling it in the dark web. They're taking advantage of your personal identifiable information. That threat isn't tied to your device. That threat exists out there. And until you find out that it exists, you can't really take action about it. And so in an environment where you're made aware, let's just say your credit reporting agency told you that your username and password for a particular website has been exposed on the internet. Well, the only thing you could do at that point is to go and just you know, change passwords in the websites where you've used that username and password sequence. So that's the first thing you could do. But if someone steals your favorite color, your mother's maiden name, and all those things that can't be changed, you have to go back in those accounts where you've used that information and update the security settings or add two-factor authentication and so on. And so I think the, the challenge for companies like ours is how do you bring this information, distill it down so that it's actionable and relevant and not overwhelming? Because if you're getting alerts constantly about cloud threats or direct threats, you're just not going to respond to these things. You're just going to ignore it. You don't have time for it. You don't have time to you know, respond to each one of them. And so the, the idea is to have artificial intelligence that can kind of quantify these threats, mitigate them on your behalf, tell you what it's done for you, and then give you the option to make your own personal choices. And the other area is privacy. And so Privacy is a, a very wide spectrum of considerations. You've got privacy invasive applications and companies who are doing it without your permission or you know, bad actors. And then the other side of the spectrum, you have legitimate companies and, and companies like Facebook, for example, who are not necessarily hurting you, but they're taking data that you did not give explicit permission to and, and selling it. Okay. So how do you deal with something like that? You have to have tools that allow you as a consumer to make decisions whether or not you want to give up that information and give you the simple enough tools that you can do it on the fly or do it once and kind of you know turn on and forget. And we're not quite there yet because access to these applications, third parties, isn't obvious and easy for third parties. Like I can't go to you know Google or Facebook and say, hey, we're going to manage privacy on behalf of our customers through your platform. That's not going to be met with open arms and welcome, you know, Matt uh, on their side. So how do we do it? And so we're trying to figure those, those areas out. Um, there's also beacons, you know, as you're walking through the mall or you're going to driving in your car, there's all the kinds of tracking systems out there that know that you've been in front of a certain billboard or you've bought a certain product at the retail location. So they can retarget you later. And so that, that's something consumers barely even, vaguely even are aware of. We don't want to be the company that is anti-advertising because we use advertising ourselves to market our product. That, that, that is not our goal. We're, we're actually for it. We just want to give our customers ability to control it and hopefully even monetize it at some point, right? So why does Google get to, Facebook get to monetize my data but I don't get to monetize my data. Aren't I the one that, that created it in the first place, right? And so we are working towards that. We're working towards a model where everybody wins. Consumers win by controlling data, selling the data they want to sell, not sell the data they don't want to sell, 
the buyer of the data gets an explicit right to that information and gets to use it the way that they've promised to use it. And the bad guys are locked out because that data sync between the good guy, the advertiser, and the consumer is arbitrated through us. And we've created kind of created a you know a virtual private environment. We've you know encrypted the communication stream. We made it safe for both sides. And if we can get to that point on a large scale, I think everyone's going to win, and ultimately everyone's going to be happy because it's a sort of arbitrage, if you will, of relationships. You know, when I, when you were telling that story, I was thinking about how when the new iOS updates happened, and you know, Facebook lost its ability to track you across applications, and so did every other advertiser. People talked about how ads became increasingly irrelevant, and so like I agree with you. I think we do want more curated content, and I think we as a as a whole actually most people don't realize that they actually don't mind advertising; they just don't want advertising that's irrelevant, right? And because for anyone who's ever been in a critical situation where they needed some services, I'll use an example. Uh, when my water heater broke, like I needed water heater repair people. Like I needed it. Like, please find me, <laughs> you know, help me find you, find me. And so I agree with you. So I think it's pretty cool what we're talking about where is there a way for us to in a future where we control and monetize our own needs and wants? I mean, that'd be kind of cool. I'd like to get paid for that. I think that'd be fantastic. So one of the unique things about you, Gary, and for our audience members who aren't able to check you out on Crunchbase or on LinkedIn quite yet. Hopefully they go Google you up so they know who we're listening to. But you have a really unique position, I'd say, among the different guests we've had here on IT Visionaries. You're a 500 startups mentor. You're an advisor to multiple companies. If I look you up on Crunchbase, it says you're the CEO of like seven. Uh, (laughs) No, just one. I know Crunchbase is wrong. That's why I had to say where I had to say where I saw that. But you do get a really unique perspective in that you do get to see a lot of people trying to build the future of cybersecurity. You know, I'd love to hear some of the most exciting things you've seen coming down the pipe. And I do have a question specifically. You know, one of the things we keep hearing about is people want such advanced AI in their cybersecurity that it can preemptively stop threats. Like it doesn't even ask you a question. Like you could use an example before, like back in the day, if you had McAfee or or malware bias or something like that installed on your computer or Norton antivirus, it would bring up a whole list of things that say, like, do you want to quarantine this? Like, I don't know. Like, dude, I'm a regular average Joe. Like, why? I don't know any of these things. I would say yes to everything because I'm like, I'm assuming yes. Like, why would anything be good? We as a people, we, we as a society want things done for us. And so you have a unique seat. You've seen what's coming down in the future. I love, what are you most excited about? And is that dream coming close where AI is so smart, it can actually stop attacks preemptively? Like, I don't have to make any decisions in the future. That would be the best. But I'd love to know what your perspective is, because you get to see so many different technologies in there and at different stages of their life cycles. Sure. One of the biggest problems in, in uh, security management is file quantification and detection. So for example, if you have any kind of antivirus running in your device, oftentimes it will pop up and say, hey, do you want to quarantine this file or whatever? And the reason it's doing that is because it's not 100% sure that that file is a bad file. You know, when they talk about artificial intelligence, it's actually not working in this particular instance. And the reason it's not working is because, you know, software using it basically saying, I think this could be a legitimate file, but let me ask the owner of the device. Maybe they disagree or maybe they agree. And so if we had a clearinghouse for data or files that said anything that doesn't go through us is bad automatically, it doesn't get through, it's blocked. 
and everything that goes through us and surrogate certified is okay. And so there is no such platform. I mean, there are companies like we use a company called AppEsteem that uh, certifies applications and they look at the code base and make sure that you're not doing anything bad. But they can't reassure you that uh, an antivirus company is going to see an update from Microsoft to your operating system and confirm that that operating, that, that update is actually coming from Microsoft and you should not be worried. That process does not currently exist in the way that as consumers, we would expect it to exist, where the operating system that we bought is very much in sync with all the security you know, protocols and the antivirus company is not going to block its update from you know, hurting you somehow. And I'm mean, being very high level. I mean, there's obviously nuances to all of this, but we're not quite there from what you just said uh, in terms of our AI sort of looking at this holistically and saying, don't worry, all these files are fine. This one, you know, we blocked, we'll take care of it for you. And whatever damage it caused, we repaired the file that it encrypted, you know, we decrypted it, it's back to normal and go on with your day. So we're not, not quite there yet. And, and these are obvious risks, right? These are the things that uh, are, even artificial intelligence can at least identify. But what about, like we talked about earlier, cloud threats and threats that are not in your device? And so it's lots of, uh, you know, there's lots of work to do. And also the internet as a whole is not a protected environment. No one knows who you are. The internet doesn't know who Joe is. You know, they don't know whether Joe, Joe has a protected device and whether or not he's a real human being. There's none of that confirmation that takes place. And uh, that's why we have these problems. And so security is an afterthought when it comes to development of any applications, uh, whether it's hardware or software. It's not a first thing that developers think about. They don't think of it from that standpoint because that kind of redirects them from their you know, big idea and makes them bounds them to, to think differently. And so we have a lot of work to do, and that's why we sell our products and services in a bundle. Uh, we think that you still need a human interaction. You got to talk to someone. If you, you don't know what to do, you call someone and they'll help you remotely or chat with you online. Software just hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. And what are you most excited about when you see these young companies startup engineers working on things. What are you most excited about? What are some of the things that are coming down the pike that you're like, wow, this is really going to change cybersecurity? Well, from a consumer side, there isn't a lot of innovation happening in, in the cybersecurity space, mm. very little. On the enterprise side, where the risks are greater, there's quite a bit of innovation and a lot more uh, acquisition activity. On the consumer side, they're just it's an afterthought and it's almost like a derivative of enterprise. Once the enterprise is sort of figure out you know, the right model, it sometimes just trickles down to the, con- to the consumer. We're focused on privacy management. That to us is the area that's uh, the most interesting. It's the, the, the least addressed in terms of product market fit. There are a lot of opportunities. There was a lot of ways for consumers to win in terms of monetization of the data. There are lots of ways for advertisers to benefit and good actors to benefit from you know, having a, a comprehensive privacy solution, it's global. You know, there's no, you know, everyone's now connected to the internet. Everyone's using social media. There's no reason why someone in, in, the, in like the poorest and the wealthiest part of the world could not be part of the same platform. And so we're, we're pretty excited about that. That is awesome. 
Well, Gary, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Gary, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Are you ready? Go for it. All right. Question number one, how do you sleep given you're in the cybersecurity industry? I mean, the lack of sleep? Uh... <laughs> Five five hours is, is is just about right. Five, six hours. Yeah. That is not a lot of sleep. When you look to cut loose and think about something else, what do you like to do? Uh, lots of things. So I ski, I, um, I, I play tennis and I DJ. So those two, three things. You DJ? What kind of music do you mix? Uh, deep house. Deep house? Are you a dancer? I'm not a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Can't dance. DJs don't dance. Well, they, but they get the, they get it pumping. They get it pumping. <laughs> No, not, not, not can't do that. <laughs> when you ski, what level of skiing are you at? Are you a black diamond skier? Like, I'll tell you, I'm a green. I don't even blues. I'm like, eh. <laughs> uh, I, I, I am probably in the in upper spectrum of blue, but not in the double diamonds. I just don't want to break anything. It's, I, I've tried it. I just, you know, uh, uh, no, not for me. There you go, man. Fun fact, the CEO of Mission, Stephanie Postles, her sister and her now husband had a dual bachelor party. They took me snowboarding and they encouraged me to go down a black diamond. I want you to know I fell down the mountain. I have fallen down a mountain. I did not actually snowboard down it. So I, I'm, I'm, I was, and I did break a rib. So I respect the game, Gary. I'm, oh, no. I'm in my 40s myself. I, I, don't, I just don't want to be breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be breaking things. And the thing with like breaking something when you're skiing is uh, or snowboarding is that the recovery time is is long. Like if you break a leg, you could be in the cast for for months and you know be in a, in a just be out of commission for a long time. So it's not. I, I've broken my arm before snowboarding. I fell up the mountain backwards uh, on a snowboard, and <laughs> oh, I tell man. you, it's it's not fun. It's not fun. Listen, so all you thrill seekers out there, you guys hit the double blacks. Me and Gary, we're going to be on the blues and the greens. And I'm and after the ski sesh, he's going to throw down a, a show on it with the deep house. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That sounds like a fun day. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing all the things that you have seen. You're in a unique space, rolling up consumer cybersecurity applications. You are correct. It is a largely unfocused on area, mainly because, and I think it's like a, it's a byproduct of the consumers, right? The consumers themselves aren't that into it either, but it's a necessary thing as more devices get connected to the cloud, more companies, for example, are using bring your own device. Like it's, it's going to get there. I think either two things, right? Either the threat's got to get so big, or like you said, the solution's got to get so easy. If the, either one of those things come true, it begins. Sounds good. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary.